0: All right, I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we are officially starting an email list as we have some big plans for the podcast and we'll be telling people on the email list first and probably only the people on the email list. So feel free to sign up and get on the email list at F20R.com. That's F as in Frank two zero or as in red.com and I'll see you over there. How is it going everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today I'm very excited to be talking to Shanif Dinani who is the co-founder and CEO of Aptio. Shanif, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey Matt,
1: it's going great. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on at a slightly late hour. I appreciate it. But I feel like the best conversations happen after, after work hours, right? So looking forward to it.
1: Absolutely. They're the most unfiltered. So, yes, uh, exactly.
0: That's right. Well, cool. Well, let's just start with what are you working on? What is Aptio?
1: Yeah, thanks so much for asking. Um, Aptio is a data science platform for everyone. Uh, and we're starting in the financial services sector. So what the heck does that mean? Um, it's really a platform that helps people find data that they can use to improve their workflows. Um, it lets them discover interesting information, interesting stats, and it also provides them with tools so that they can analyze that data themselves, even if they don't have a data science platform. So we're really solving two problems here, you know, data discovery and organization, and then data analytics. So,
0: okay, so? yeah. So- if I, let's break those down. So data discovery and then data analytics. So data discovery. Um, I guess I'll ask the, the very basic question. Where do you discover the data? Uh, is it web-, web crawlers? Is it, is it the big data banks? Like how, how do you get your hands on the data in the first place? Yeah, it's a great question. So
1: just to set the stage um you can imagine what these guys in finance are doing today Uh, some of them might be responsible for making investment decisions others might be responsible for researching stocks or bonds trying to understand how companies are doing so in order to do this they basically love to get their hands on anything they can use to make a better decision Um, one famous example today or actually from a few years ago is uh, a group of folks who used Foursquare check-in data to estimate how many uh how much Chipotle would actually make in revenue and earnings in the next quarter. Another thing you're seeing today is people use um, images from satellites to actually predict how many cars there are in a mall parking lot, and then they use that to estimate retail sales. So this is some of the uh, types of data that you're seeing today, but these are kind of uh, more extreme examples. You also have data from the government, which is free and publicly available, that tells you a lot about how the economy is doing. This can be either the US government or state cities, even foreign governments. And then you have a lot of interesting information from NGOs, places like the World Health Organization, places like uh, the UN. So there's a lot of public data out there. And then firms themselves are creating lots of interesting information. You know, They're running surveys of customers, they're measuring a lot of things, they're plugging into what people are watching. So there's a lot of data out there. We bring um, about two million public data sets to the table, and then we help firms plug in their existing data. It's all discoverable on our platform based on the use case that you have for how you want to use that data.
0: That makes sense. Uh, that's awesome. It's almost, would you call it an aggregator of some sort where you, you, there's all this data out there and you kind of, kind of bring it to the center place that people can then use?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We like to call it like a data catalog or a data library, something that you have um, just this giant uh, store and we organize it and categorize it for you. So it's easy to find.
0: Got it. So once you have this data and it's organized and categorized, as you just said, um, you mentioned earlier that the second kind of big category of what you do is is analyze and uh, um, kind of to get insights from the data. Do you yeah. is this a done for you service where they say, "Hey, I want to learn this," and then you do it for them? Do you teach them how? Do you is it all software based? How do you help uh, firms and customers analyze the data?
1: Yeah, it's all uh, based on the platform, so it's all software based. It's a single product, and right now we focus on two main uh, two main ways to analyze data. Um, so one of the things that these folks need to be able to understand is. You know, there's, there's this entire world of data out there, but how do I know what's, no, what's noise versus what's actually relevant to me? In finance, this is done in a couple of different ways. Uh, the most common way, I'm sure a lot of folks have done this, is you open up Excel and you try to correlate a data set to maybe a stock price or stock earnings, and you might have a lot of problems, right? So sometimes this data set might be updated monthly, but stock prices might be daily. And so how do you go through the process of making sure everything matches up, making sure that, you know, you're looking into leading correlations versus lagging, making sure that the different windows you're looking at make sense for you, well, it's tough. And so what we've done is we've automated a lot of that. So you basically jump onto the platform, you tell it which data sets you want to correlate, and it'll do all the hard work and matching updates and trying to figure out what makes sense, and it'll just show you the results. That's kind of the first way. The second way we're seeing is that, especially in finance today, a lot of people want to use data to predict the future. And so what they need to do is actually understand if a particular data set makes, uh, makes it easier for them to predict something going forward. So while, as, while correlations were more backwards looking, we're using predictive analytics to look forward. And what that looks like is building a couple of tools where you can just point and click, and then automatically a bunch of machine learning models will be built in the background. They'll learn how to make the forecasts and projections that you care about, and then they'll show you the results of those projections and forecasts. So right now, those are two ways that we're analyzing data. But we have a lot of plans um, for the future, obviously, of the product. But to answer your question, it is all based in software, and it is all based around kind of the workflows that we're helping to automate automate right now.
0: So I feel like you are saving a lot of companies a ton of time with, with this platform. I'd love to know why did you get started in the first place? What's your why?
1: Yeah, we found a really... Um, Interesting company history, and so the why. Kind of, in order to be able to answer the why, we have to take the context of the company into play. So, if you go back to when we first started the company, uh, it was myself and my co-founder. I have a background in software and machine learning. My co-founder has a background in uh, finance. All sorts of all all sorts of functions: Um, private equity, portfolio management, investment banking. The two of us kind of came together with a strong belief that. Uh, technology can be used to enhance uh, investing today so what we actually started to do was we started building this AI engine that would take in lots of different types of data and basically use it to analyze stocks to make forecasts on what stocks going to do the best over the next you know anywhere from seven days all the way up to five years so we built this thing um, it took in thousands of different data points millions of different articles sorry millions of different data points across thousands of different sources and it forecasted stocks and then we built a website around it a b2c website that basically provided anyone on the internet uh free stock rankings you know our goal was really to see if anybody actually cared about this stuff and we got a pretty decent user base and then we started selling some of the output of the ai engine to larger firms and as we did that we actually realized these firms themselves were having a huge amount of trouble dealing with their own data that they had in-house or trying to find data that they needed to to either improve their own processes or their own models. And a lot of them didn't have data science expertise. And so we realized we'd already built something that could solve a lot of their existing problems. We realized it was probably a much bigger opportunity than just providing stock rankings. And so we fully pivoted the company into basically this data science platform that we're building today. Um, It kind of, it was this confluence of understanding the market, understanding what people really wanted, And having this kind of expertise with this new area of technology that we could very quickly apply to existing problems today.
0: You mentioned that you are starting with kind of your beachhead of finance and and tackling that industry. I'm wondering more of this is a very self indulgent question, but do you plan to use this? this platform for startup investing. If investors want to get into uh, um, startups uh, and, and start investing, could they use your tool to analyze what's what's working and what's not? <laughs> yeah, you know what's
1: funny is we've had a couple of very forward-thinking VCs and uh, maybe one or two angel investors come to us and say, hey, look, like I've got all this data about previous deals I've done, about the types of founders I've worked with, about what's worked well, what hasn't. Um, and then there's also sites like Crunchbase where I can pull data about startups. Can you guys deal with this type of information and help me make you know, better investing decisions? And that's actually one of the types of customers that we, um, we hadn't worked with them very extensively in the past. We are starting to get more involved with those types of forward-thinking folks. And so, um, you know, yeah, it's definitely something that's possible. Um, the devil is in the details with this kind of stuff. So depending on the type of data that they have, it might be easier, it might be harder, but this is definitely an area where we see a lot of um, opportunity, especially because the startup space has been so so siloed and so um, kind of closed off uh, versus the public markets, which have a ton of data available to them. Uh, so yeah, again, it's something that we're starting to do and we're pretty excited about these sorts of areas, venture capital, private equity, these sorts of uh, interesting areas of finance.
0: Yeah, I've taken a very, almost like obsessive interest in what's happening in VC and angel land as scouts programs start to grow. And as they become more angels and, and just investing is becoming almost, almost uh, like mainstream. Um, and uh, it's just kind of interesting what's going to happen to startups and to investors. And it's all good stuff because it's more capital going into startups and the ecosystem which is good so I would love to know what is the, the big vision here you've you, you got started you um, you're making some serious progress but let, let's paint the line of like what like 10 years from now 20 years from now what could this what could this company be we
1: I love that question so we see this kind of in going in one of two directions or you know if we're really good and we execute well in both directions one we certainly hope to see ourselves as kind of the de facto central hub of all things data and analytics within the firm. You know, you need to understand how your marketing department is spending dollars and whether you should be, uh, you know, spending money on certain campaigns, go to the Appdio platform. Uh, you need to understand and optimize sales and who maybe should be assigned to a different uh, different lead, go to the Appdio platform. So you'll be able to find data and make decisions off that data within your company. So there's the B2B aspect of it, which is, kind of the, the hub for all things decision-making. But what we've seen and what we started to do recently is we actually have a free version of our product right now available to anybody on the cloud. And what we would love to do there and what we started to see ourselves making progress in is kind of becoming what we like to call, you might think of it as like the Wikipedia of all things data. So we have all of these data sets available to everybody to use. We have a basic toolkit for our uh, analytics platform. And we would love to kind of grow into that um, one single repository for wherever you need to go to find anything you want. Um, those are the big kind of hairy, audacious goals we have. Um, we've seen a lot of traction on the enterprise side. The cloud product is still something that uh, has yet to be determined, but that's essentially where we see ourselves in five to 10 years.
0: That is an awesome future and one that would benefit everyone, uh, you know, once it, once it takes place. So, So that's fantastic. I have a couple of questions unique to the finance kind of industry. And then I want to move on to the business function that we were talking about earlier that you have expertise in. So one thing I'm interested in learning is you are based in New York, which for the longest time and still is kind of the the finance capital of the world. It's where all the stock exchanges are, you know, it's New York, but I've had a couple more than a couple of founders uh come on to the podcast that are based in san francisco that are building fintech products that are kind of convinced that the power of the 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 finance world is moving from the east coast to the west coast and uh, and tech is kind of building its own finance uh finance powerhouse what are your thoughts on this dynamic do you see it happening or do you think it's just kind of a hype cycle
1: I love, yeah, I love the power of technology to change things up. What we're seeing on our side is a lot of the corporate finance, the B2B finance, the kind of capital markets are, like you said, based in New York, like this is where a lot of the powerhouses are. And what we're seeing in San Francisco is that a lot of the personal finance functions are now starting to be kind of productized in terms of the way that that Silicon Valley has built products uh, traditionally, you know, making them really user-friendly, adding viral capabilities, um and so while i think that new york is going to continue to remain kind of the center for all things corporate b2b large-scale capital markets when it comes to finance i think i think there's definitely a case to be made that silicon valley is breaking into personal personal banking it's breaking into uh individual stock investing it's breaking into uh peer-to-peer lending so um i definitely see the case there um but i see those as kind of two even though they're both financed, they're two different sides of a, of a coin. On the one hand, you have these very large kind of pension funds, enterprises making these market moving decisions that somehow eventually do affect individuals, but it's less direct. And then on the other side, you have these very um, individualized personal finance apps that help a single person try to optimize their financial uh, decisions or financial lives. So um, that's kind of how I think about the world in terms of the East Coast and West Coast in terms of technology
0: and finance. Yeah, that's fascinating, thank you for sharing. So now I wanna talk about uh, something that you, you've done and, and you will continue to do as you scale, scale up this company which is building teams and, and more specifically, building technical teams. Um, so to start, I wanna go high level and ask when you think about building a, a team of developers or engineers, um, what is the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind if you were to do it over again? Like, what's, uh, what are some, some fundamentals that are necessary to build a fantastic technical team, and oh, we can start there?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, um, I don't think I would do it differently because I've uh, kept one thing in mind every time that I, that I hire, whether it was at my other startup, TapCommerce, which I helped start, or Twitter, or what we're doing now at Aptio you might be surprised to hear but it is uh, attitude it's kind of the ability for somebody to be fascinated by technology and want to learn um, want to learn as much as they can because whenever you have someone who has the desire to kind of take on new skill sets to learn you've got somebody who can grow with a company you know you've got somebody who's not going to stay stagnant who's gonna be very involved, um, not only in the technical side of things, but perhaps also in the product development and product management side of things. Someone who's gonna really understand what needs to be done. So attitude in terms of being able to learn quickly, in terms of wanting to learn quickly, um, is very important. Uh, That's doubly so in startup life. So if I compare and contrast how I was hiring for corporates versus how I hire for startups, it's really important to find somebody who is um, a curious person who's got a great um, ability to enhance a startup's culture, um, who really wants to learn and who really wants to be a part of something kind of new because you're not paying them the best, you know, you're not paying them market salary in startup life. So you really have to be, you have to find somebody who's motivated by, by other things. Um, that's kind of the first thing. But with that said, you can't, you can't ignore technical skills, right? You gotta be able to code. You got to be able to uh, build apps. If you're a senior engineer, you probably should be able to set up infrastructure, put up servers and things of that sort. And so while attitude, culture, kind of ability to learn is the first thing, I would say technical capabilities and technical uh, aptitude is the second thing. And we test that in a couple of different ways. Happy to jump into that if you want. But those two will get get us or it has gotten me about 99% of the way there.
0: Okay, so I definitely want to go into how you test for these in a second. But before then, I do have one question. How do you know when you need to hire um, a young, ambitious, somewhat person with the right attitude, you know, a junior developer who is going to make, make mistakes but grow at the company versus a senior developer who's going to go in and just get shit done? How do you know when to hire who?
1: yeah it's funny you mentioned that because right now we're actually trying to hire both a junior developer and a senior developer and here's how we come to that conclusion um, and here's how we've kind of made this de- I've made this decision in the past generally for junior developers um, it, it all kind of comes down to what needs to be done and what you project the product is going to look like and who your clients are going to be in the next you know six to twelve months um, If you've got a product that's kind of well well defined well set um, but you might need to make minor tweaks to it, you might need to make front-end customizations, maybe add a couple of smaller features here and there. Uh, Generally, a junior developer will do the trick. But if you have a product that has a lot of unknowns, you know that it's gonna grow a lot larger, you know that you have customers who are gonna want really big items, you know that you're dealing with large amounts of either data or computation, huge amounts of scale. Senior engineers are generally, they generally have the experience to be able to to design systems that are going to do that. So in our case, we actually have the we actually have the need for both, right? We have a platform that we're building, which has a lot of unknowns. Um, but based on initial feedback from customers, there's a lot of kind of big, big, high-level features that need to be built. But as you build those features, you need somebody to go in and do a lot of the um, a lot of the kind of Let's say putting the pipes together in terms of the code base, in terms of front end stuff, back end stuff, that's a little bit more simple. So it really comes down to what you're trying to build and uh, you know where your customers are and and what they need from you.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and now I want to dive into what you mentioned earlier is kind of screening for these people and what and, the hiring process is like. So. Um, you can pick if you want you can go with junior developer or senior developer But I'd love for you to kind of outline what it's like to go hire. but let's go senior developer um, How you think about hiring a senior developer and what kind of tests you put them through what kind of questions and how do you evaluate talent?
1: Yeah, I've been very fortunate. I've done um, a couple hundred different interviews I guess over the course of my career for software developers and I've developed a kind of a process that I think works really well. If you talk to somebody else, you know they may have they may disagree with me, but I'll tell you what's worked for me. I like to have um, confidence first that um, anyone I'm, I have the potential of bringing on is somebody that's going to fit well with our culture, fit really well with who we are. And so, generally, the way I will approach our process is. One, get either myself or a couple of folks to just talk to this person, you know, understand what mot- what motivates them, what drives them, uh, make sure that everything passes the smell test in terms of who they are as people. Then I'll jump into a more kind of technical um, part of our process. Uh, so the first part might be a few phone screens. It might be a coffee. This could take a week or two. The next part is a little bit more technical where we actually have them, um, if they're if they're a junior developer, we might have them do a coding test, but if they're a senior developer, we might actually have them um, come in and pair program with us over um, a particular feature, or we might have them come in and actually have maybe three to four technical interviews in person. Now, the way we do tech- the way I like to do technical interviews is probably different than the big companies that uh, other folks will interview with. Um, myself and my CTO have pretty strong opinions that the way technical interviewing is done today is wrong like people are testing for skills that these people are never going to need during the job during the process they're testing on algorithms they're testing on minute details it doesn't tell you if if they're going to be a good developer or not so what we'll do is we'll actually we'll generally have pragmatic practical um, discussions with them in person we'll ask them hey look this is a problem that we solved or that we have right now here's how we've we've thought through it Let's go through a thought exercise about how you would uh, architect a system. How you would kind of have these different components work back and forth together, or hey, look, here's a piece of this. Here's a piece of code that we have to build or that we're building. Let's talk through how the code is supposed to supposed to logically work. Let's talk through about how you would structure it such that um, it's not messy and it's kind of uh, manageable, and how you would kind of structure the different classes and and functions and objects that are going to be interacting. So generally what you'll find is that our in-person interviews are much more pragmatic. Sure, we might have a couple of technical, you know, standard technical questions here and there, but we try to shy away from that. Then after that, we might have them do a take-home project again, depending on their level of seniority. Um, But basically we'll spend a couple of weeks, two to three weeks with them either on real world projects, take-home projects, in-person projects, in-person practical questions. And then by that point, we've got about 80, 85% of an understanding of who they are as people. Then we'll just go through the standard process of an interview, uh, asking them for references, you know, talking to them about the comp, negotiating with them, seeing how they react to that. And then from there, um, you know, we'll either start them off on an internship if they're junior, or we'll just bring them on, uh, you know, on a senior basis if they're folks that have uh, a really good background.
0: It definitely sounds like you have a process dialed in and I'm glad it's been working for you. Um, One question within there that I just would like your opinion on uh, whiteboarding. I know a lot of startups and big companies have a whiteboarding in their interview process. How do you feel about whiteboarding?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I have had to go through whiteboarding questions myself and I've given whiteboarding questions and here's where I've met it out. Um, I don't like whiteboards for writing code. I just think that people start to worry about syntax and grammar, and you, don't, you always have a compiler with you, so why would you take one away in an interview? Where I like whiteboards are high-level architecture diagrams, especially for senior-level engineers. You, know, you can draw out different components, databases, caches, queues, and draw the data flows that go from one component to the other. And you really start to get an understanding of how somebody thinks about building and architecting a large system by how they draw out the different components on a whiteboard. If, if we're talking to someone and we're using the whiteboard and they're more junior and we're talking about code, what I'll have them do is write out pseudocode. Um, so switching away from like the senior developers to the junior developers, I like whiteboards for pseudocode because it helps me think about the structure and how they think through the thought process. But I definitely do not like whiteboards for um, like in-depth coding questions. I just think that that again, it doesn't reflect who they would be as on the job or who they are in terms of development skills. And I think it makes people unnecessarily nervous. And I think it's kind of a pretentious thing to do, to be honest. Like it just doesn't show you who's you know if someone's going to be a really good team member or not.
0: Yeah, that that's awesome. I like how you have a, a use for whiteboards in some ways, but the general. Uh, whiteboard a, a giant algorithm or something like that just isn't isn't for you, which is cool. So I have a couple of questions just in general trends or opinions that I've heard in, in this industry that I would love your thoughts on. Um, in regards to sourcing the best talent, um, something that has been on the rise for the last three years, maybe longer, is boot camps, tech boot camps, starting with the three-month-long ones. And then more recently, I feel like they've gotten a little more mature. Uh, how do you feel about boot camps, just kind of in general, and then more specifically, how do you feel about boot camps for hiring your own uh, your own team?
1: I, I love the fact that uh, more people are starting to learn, and I think that boot camps provide them a really kind of efficient way to do that without obviously having to go through this long process of getting a CS degree. Um, and boot camps have actually worked really well with us. Not only have we gotten um, interns from boot camps, we're actually Bringing on a couple of full time folks who have gone through boot camps. Now, these folks tend to be a little bit more junior, and so what we rely on them for are not these large system level implementations, but like I said, kind of building up the ground level product in terms of the code, the front end, the back end. So I really like boot camps. Um, but with that said, the you get a lot of folks from different backgrounds. And the quality kind of varies and so you really have to have a good process in place to make sure that one the person that you're bringing on is a good fit for what you need because these boot camps teach different things and two they can grow like i said that they're willing to grow and not just necessarily settle into a job where they learn the two or three languages that they learn um so i, I love boot camps i i would love to see them actually go one step further and help start teaching uh more in-depth skills more back-end skills more scalable skills um but for now i think that it's a really good sign for the ecosystem
0: and uh, i know that for in my experience as kind of a sales marketing type guy you 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 hire a a you hire a marketing team you know a big marketing team or growth team once you have product market fit for sales you hire a salesperson Once you know exactly what you need them to do and you just kind of plug them in and you get them going when do you know you need to hire a developer at what point um it does it that do you realize that you should start sourcing a developer and going through a hiring process
1: um in early stage companies especially today where a lot of the new startups that are being created are software companies uh i would recommend hiring on probably a CTO as either the co-founder or a very early stage developer because if you don't do that you're doing something like outsourcing the product or um, maybe developing it part time if you have tech skills and so what the the problem there is it's very hard to iterate quickly uh, if the developer you're working with is outsourced. So. This is probably one of the more important things to do as a founder is find the right person to grow with you as a, as a, as a head of the tech team, but it's also one of the hardest. And so let's assume that you kind of develop some sort of MVP or product that is out there that you've seen have product market fit. You're generally going to want to hire a developer once you start to slow down in terms of your ability to iterate quickly. Um, this is going to happen fairly quickly uh, for, for tech startups might happen more slowly for other types of companies. But once you start seeing yourself slowing down and you are not able to, to market test features that people have expressed interest in, or you are seeing a lot of bugs that you are having trouble controlling because of the quality in terms of outsourcing, um, you generally wanna bring on someone uh, as quickly as you can. And so again, it's you know, like everything else that's situational, but in general, I would say as, as soon as you can, you probably wanna bring on someone on the tech side of things.
0: And I think one of my last questions in this realm is uh, let's use me as an example. Cause I'm, I think a good example here. So I'm someone that I, you know, I've been in the tech world of for the last five years and startups, but I myself, you know, I can't write a function. I can't, I can't write an algorithm. I, I don't, I don't code, or at least I don't code anymore. How should a business minded um, kind of person look, what should that person look for? In their uh, in their co-founder or first tech hire, and kind of more specifically, how can I or this person test this this tech person's proficiency? How do I know if they're a good developer? I'm not a developer myself.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You know, one of the most common questions I get is, "How do I find a CTO uh, from people who are not technical?" Or how do I know if someone is good? So. Again, I kind of come back to what I said earlier in terms of finding someone to bring on. First, in my opinion, would be attitude. So if you're really early stage or if you just have an idea and you're trying to test it out, it's fine to outsource the product or the app for maybe a few months. But if you're trying to bring on someone, you generally want to find somebody who is excited about startup life, who really wants to learn, uh, who really wants to jump in and start building stuff. So attitude is fairly easy to test for, I think. You just kind of... You meet with them a lot, you talk with them a lot, you understand how they think. Um, and then you really want to understand how they how they work in terms of technical skills. So if you're a non if you're a non-technical person, evaluating a technical person can be tough. But I would say you want to take a look at perhaps the output uh, that they've produced in the past. I think probably every single good developer I've ever worked with has had side projects, has worked on stuff just because it's interesting for them. Has put up either something on GitHub or produced something that they've, you know, tweeted about and said, "Hey, take a look at this." So, if there's somebody who's got a good skill set, they're going to have stuff out there that they can show you or tell you about, and then you can understand what they built, you know, without without having to worry about the technical side of things. You can try it out if it's publicly available. You can just give it a shot, see what works. Um, barring that, if you uh, if you don't have anything like that it's generally a good idea to do a trial project so maybe give somebody um you know pay them a little bit of money have them write some uh some small thing for you maybe a small app or a small website that does something very basic and then see how it works see how quickly they get done see how how well they take direction from you see if they push back or if they're hard to work with trial projects i'm a huge fan of because you can really get an understanding of of, of how somebody works Um, and then if you do have somebody, uh, within your personal network, who's a really good technologist or coder or programmer, have them talk to the person, have them vet them so that they understand, you know, you have somebody trusted who can give you a a third party opinion about how good this person is. So those are some of the approaches I would recommend, you know, none of them require you to know technical skills or to know technology, but they, they do require you to kind of be a little bit more proactive in terms of how you work with, with other people and how you evaluate their, their output, if not their actual coding skills.
0: All right. That is a fantastic way to wrap up my questions on that topic. I guess my last one would be, is there any realm of tech building a technical team? uh, Any question I didn't ask or should have asked that you want to cover or anything that you want to cover to make sure we're not missing any points?
1: I think um, I would just I would just kind of frame it in the context of company stage. So let's say you're a small company, uh, maybe even just a founder or, or someone with an idea. The way you're going to go about the process is very different than if you're a large company like my former employer, Twitter, that gets a ton of different applications every day, has highly specialized roles, uh, especially in the machine learning department, and really needs to figure out what types of people they they want to interview and they want to hire um so depending on the stage where you are in your company you're going to be doing different things as you obviously get bigger and larger you're going to want to formalize your process a lot more so it goes i think a lot of people would say yeah that's obvious but um when you go from one stage of your company to the next and you start to grow sometimes processes can either be left behind or not put into place and uh, it's just important to think about how you want to grow your team as your company grows so that's the only other thing i would say that is significant and important to think about, but if you're if you're having that problem, you're in a good spot. Like a lot of people would love to have that problem, especially as founders.
0: All right, and my uh, my final question for you is, you know, you are here building a an awesome product and one you have a a big vision for. Um, one th- like one's the, one that's gonna impact a lot of people. And sometimes founders need some help along the way as they're building their product uh, and building their company and scaling their company. So my question to you is, we got you know a good amount of people listening to this podcast who are, wanna help, who are willing to help. So do you have an ask for the forward-thinking founders community um, in regards to something that you need help with right now or something you might need help with in the next couple of months? We're, we're all ears. <laughs> I love it, yeah. I mean, founders need probably the most help
1: out of anybody that I know just because there's so much stuff to be done. So where we're struggling right now is um, there's a couple of areas and I, I want to be fully transparent so everyone out there understands kind of the, the process of a, of a founder. We um, we have very strong uh, confidence that there's a problem out there that we're solving. We have these initial customers. Um, where we really want to double down and get really good at is building a product that has an amazing sticky UX and UI um, not not necessarily in terms of the design and aesthetics, but in terms of solving the most important problems in the easiest way. So if there are folks out there who really understand um, really good data and fintech products, uh, just in terms of like being able to design them and, and implement them in a way that makes it very easy to solve the core problems that B2B finance people face, I'd love to chat with them and then otherwise um, if you're interested in what we're doing if you're interested in data and AI you know especially in the ability for a non-technical person to use an AI feature to improve their own workflow I would love to either get in touch or feel free to follow us on Twitter we're at uh, Appdio AI check us out on LinkedIn Um, you know just follow our journey because at some point especially with our cloud product there's a good chance you're gonna run across us and I would just love to you know, understand your use case and uh, hear any feedback you have.
0: All right, you all heard it here first. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm blown away by one, what you're building into, your deep, deep knowledge in how to build a technical team. So again, thank you for coming on and spending some time on the podcast. Thanks
1: so much, Matt. really appreciate you having me on and uh, you know, best, uh, best of luck to you, you and your readers, thanks so much.